as our children are leaving, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, as we continue our sermon series together in this amazing New Testament book of history, a series that I've titled Empowered to Tell. Tell the good news of what God has done for us through Christ Jesus. How through this good news that our lives can be made new. And the amazing grace of God that not only does he make us new, not only does he give us life and life abundantly, he also gives us the privilege and empowers us to tell his story. That we, we are God's storytellers that tell the story of a God who is, a God who loves, and a God who rescues. So are you part of the story? It's the question this morning. Let me begin with a question for you. Do you think that athletes celebrating a good play is getting, getting a little out of control? Am I the only one? I mean, it's amazing to see what happens. You turn on the TV and you find somebody who's able to sack a quarterback. Good job. What happens? He jumps up, does a little dance, you know, kind of woo. I'm going to say, just go back to the huddle. I mean, golly. Or, or uh, maybe a baseball player who hits a home run and he throws his bat and stares at it like he just did something like a masterpiece, you know, like, oh, wow, look at me. And of course, you know who the worst are, don't you? Soccer players, of course, right? Because what do they do? I mean, they're the ones who start taking off the only thing that identifies them as a team, so they're an individual, and slide into the spotlight alone and say, look at me. Well, I think that it's a little bit crazy that that's how we've done. Why not, like, have someone do a nice play and point to their coach? Thanks, coach. Thanks for teaching me how to do this. Thank you so much. Or how about somebody does something great and they say to their teammates, my teammates, let me thank my teammates. Instead, no, we kind of have a tendency to look to ourselves. In today's text, God has just done an amazing miracle through Peter. John was there too. But Peter had this most incredible miracle that, that he was heading into the temple And as he was walking in, he noticed, he fixed his gaze on this man who was there uh, right at this specific uh, gate, this gate called Beautiful. You see the juxtaposition of this beautiful gate heading into the temple and this broken man who's been broken since birth. I mean, 40 years, this man's livelihood, this man's identity has been that someone would have to pick him up and carry him to the temple so that he can earn a living on this one day. It's, it's Peter. It's Peter and John as they're walking in. They see this man and they, they lock eyes. And Peter says to this man who's hoping for some money, he says, you know what? I don't have any gold or silver with me. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you. And what I'm going to give to you, I'm going to give it in the name of Jesus And amazingly, this apostolic power that Peter had and the faith he had, he reaches down to the man who never before has stood, ever. And he reaches down and in the name of Jesus, picks him up. And those 40-year-old atropied legs and ankles and muscles that must have been just about nothing immediately get health and life. And he stands. And not only does he stand, but he walks And not only does he walk, but he leaps. I mean, this is an amazing, instantaneous healing. And now everyone in the temple, the word is getting out. Oh my, have you seen what happened? 
Because everybody knew who this guy was. I mean, again, he's been there for like 40 years. They grew up with this guy. They knew this guy. And all of a sudden, the weirdest thing is they've never seen this guy at eye level. They've never seen this guy walk, leap, rejoice. And everybody goes running to a place called Solomon's Porch, where Peter was. And they just lock their eyes on Peter. And they think, this fella is superhuman. And their mouths drop. They're like, they got, their, they got their gaze on him and they got their wonder. It's like, how does he do it? How is he able to, to do such an amazing miracle? Now, if Peter were a modern day athlete, if Peter was a modern day athlete, he'd probably be going through the temple saying, woohoo, woohoo. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm powerful. That's right. I'm pretty wonderful. That's right. I'm pretty amazing. But Peter does something that's pretty amazing in and of itself. Instead of doing a touchdown dance or celebrating with high fives, Peter asked the crowd. Now, listen, don't forget, this is a, this is a, to- a crowd absolutely wrapped in attention. I mean, there's, there's no one that's talking. There's no one who's doing They're gazing at Peter. And Peter's going to use this opportunity to ask two questions. First question is this. Why are you marveling at this? Literally, the man's clinging to Peter and John. And he's saying, hey, you see this fellow right here? Why are you marveling at this? Now, be with me for a minute. Wouldn't you be marveling at this? I mean, come on. If you show up one day at the temple and all of a sudden you see the guy who's been there for 40 years dancing and celebrating, would you not marvel at this? But here's what Peter was saying. Don't marvel at this. This, this is child's play compared to what this Jesus can do. This Jesus... This Jesus, by the way, you crucified him. This is child, but don't marvel at this. Marvel at the person and the work of Jesus. Marvel at that. And then he says the second question, why do you gaze at us? I mean, you think it's about our power? You think it's about our piety? You think we did this? Why are you fixing your gaze on us? Fix your gaze on Jesus. And then Peter, Peter, with their rapt attention, asking these two questions, is going to preach the most amazing Christ-centered sermon ever preached. Um, It's incredible. He preaches it right there on the steps of the temple and he addresses those he calls the men of Israel. And the beauty of God's word is he's going to preach it for us even today. There's three things that we have to see in Peter's message. Three things that are for us and that was for them. And here's what they are. First one is this, focus your gaze on Jesus. I mean, focus your gaze there. Don't focus it on any man, anything, anyone, especially yourself. Focus your gaze on Jesus. The second thing is, marvel at the person of Jesus. Marvel at the person and the work of Jesus. And thirdly, he clearly tells us, repent and believe in the name of Jesus. Let's look to this uh, incredible scene. Let's look to this incredible sermon. Uh, I'm going to have the privilege of unpacking it for you and trying to bring some light to it. Um, It might sound like it's events happening a long time ago. It will have some language of the Bible that you may or may not be familiar with. But I promise you this. If you ask God to speak this morning and open up your ears to hear what he has for you, this is an amazing sermon that Peter preaches for us. So let's hear God's word. I'm gonna read verses 11 through 26. You can read along with me in your bulletin uh, insert or on the words on the screen. 
hear God's word. While he clung, he, the man who was just, the cripple who was just healed, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous or just one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life or the prince of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and for those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear the truth of this sermon. Oh God, by your mercy, give us minds to understand. This sounds like something a long time ago. What does it have to do for us today? Oh God, shine Holy Spirit into the darkness of our minds so that we can marvel at your Son Father, would you cause our eyes to be focused on Jesus and our hearts to beat for him. Fill them with faith. Fill them with understanding and joy. May they beat for his glory, our hearts. And Father, would you come in such a way that you'd empower our feet to walk in your truth, that we would be like that cripple man who could walk and and leap for joy because of what you have done for us. May that be us. But God, I pray that there's not a soul here today that would be able to hear your truth and not 
sing for your glory. God, come. Come and be with us. The things that I say that are wrong are just my opinion. May those things be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of Jesus, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I have an outline for you in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. And the first thing we see in this amazing text, this amazing sermon, is that call to focus our gaze upon Jesus. I mean, Peter just has this amazing miracle. He's like, why are you looking at us? Let me show you the one that you have to look at. You know, there was a sermon that Peter heard uh, just a few years back. Probably the greatest sermon ever preached. It's the Sermon of the Mount. And Peter was there and Peter heard Jesus preached this amazing sermon. And he, and he talked about Peter and us being the light of the world. He talked about us shining for, for God and his glory. And in Matthew 5, 16, we hear these words of Jesus in the same way he told Peter and us. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The whole purpose that God has created us is to reflect who he is, to reflect his love, his glory, and his goodness. That he's created us in a way to walk with him and to know him and to love him. And so when others, people see our lives, when our lives are focused on the gaze, focus our gaze on Jesus, they say him and not us. Let me ask you, are you living your life focused upon Jesus? Is that your life's focus in a manner where others can see him? I love Peter. Don't focus on me. Focus on him. It should be true of each and every one of us in each areas of our lives. Focus your gaze on Christ. I have such good news. This is what this does not mean. This does not mean that you have to be equivalent to Christ. That you have to be some super moral hero that lives a super moral life. That should be how we respond to Jesus. But the reality is, is our lives should be so focused on Jesus that two things will be very evident. If our lives are not focused on Jesus, we will be prideful or we will be miserable. You see, God so graciously says, focus on me, because if not, if you don't focus your life, your gaze on me, you will be prideful. You will live your life saying, look what I can do. If your life is not focused on Jesus, you will live your life trying to validate yourself, trying to make a name for yourself, trying to justify yourself, and you will say all the things you do saying, look at me, look at my life, I bring value to me, and you will be prideful. So focus your Gaze on Jesus and realize the reality of what Scripture says. You ready for this? You and I can do nothing apart from Christ. We can do nothing to please the Father apart from Christ. The only thing we can do that brings the Father glory and and reflects who He is is done through Him and keeps us from being prideful. And the second thing is this if our life is not focused on Christ, they'll be miserable because you'll be able to say, Look what I haven't done. Look what I haven't done. We, we, I'm broken. I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. I've fallen. L- let me see if I can bring this to more clarity. You see, if your life right now isn't focused on Jesus and his grace and his work to you, and it's focused even on your brokenness, that will become wrongfully your identity. And, and that will become what defines you. 
And here's the beauty of the cross of Christ Jesus. And here's the beauty of a gaze on Jesus. Is when we look on him, we realize that he was pierced for our transgressions. He has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. And he is our identity. And now we have this amazing power to be honest with each other. We have the amazing power to be honest with God. That we are not going to be defined by that which we're broken and sinful and still stumble over. Fix your gaze on Jesus. That's the only way we won't be prideful. That's the only way we won't be miserable. Is to fix on him to know that he has done it for me. I am okay in his sight. I got to tell you Christians, I got to spend another minute on this. So many times we wallow in our brokenness. I mean, so many times when I say, oh, man, here I go again. Yeah, I blew it. I've, I, I, I'm not living the way I should. I, I've repeated the same old sin again. Here I am. And, and you know what? We let our sin become our identity. Jesus didn't hang on the cross for your sin to be your identity. He bore it. He bore the penalty and the shame so that we can now fix our gaze on him and realize that, that the righteous and holy one is our identity. And that's the way the Father sees us. And guess what? That's the way we should see ourselves. And the amazing thing about this is, is now the world, we don't have to be holier than thou to the world. We can be honest with the world. We can say the truth is, yeah, I'm like you. I'm a sinner. But man, God's grace is absolutely amazing. And my gaze is absolutely focused on Jesus Because in him I'm whole. In him I'm right. In him I live. Fix your gaze on Jesus. That's what Paul did. And then he says, marvel at the person of Jesus. As the crowd was marveling at this man who has just been healed and marveling at what Peter did, he says, no, no, let me me tell you about this Jesus. And I love it because Peter keeps on saying to this crowd, this By the way, you denied him. By the way, you rejected him. By the way, you crucified him. But he's alive. Not only is he alive, he's gracious. Thank goodness he's not coming after you. He's not looking for those who did it. He comes for those who did it and says, I offer peace and goodness and forgiveness. What an amazing Savior. And Jesus That's the one we're to marvel at. And what Peter does, he says, you don't marvel at this one man's being healed. Don't marvel at what I can do in his name. Marvel at Jesus. Why? And here's here we go. Listen, I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I am going to right now for the next couple of minutes bring you through this sermon and show you what this means to the original audience. Remember where we are, folks. This was on the temple. Remember who he's preaching to, folks. These were the men of Israel. And you're about ready to hear an amazing Christ-centered sermon that's going to point to Jesus in every single page of Scripture, in every single, every single promise of God. And in the whole reason he's doing this is so that they will marvel at the one they should marvel at, Jesus. Marvel at him. And why? Because Jesus is the one who frees us from slavery. Marvel at that. He starts his sermon off this way. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, that may be terms to us that sound Old Testament and old, but you have to know that those who are hearing that, they knew what that meant. This is a covenant God who releases his people from slavery. 
This is a covenant God. And and they would be reminded of Exodus chapter 3. And Moses standing before the burning bush. And as Moses stood before the burning bush, God identified himself. And guess how he did it? I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. And I'm the God who sets my people free. And they were about ready to see what an amazing work of God through some plagues and through a divided Red Sea, how God sets his people free from slavery and leads them to the promised land. And now Peter's going to say, by the way, this Jesus is the one who is blessed by this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's the one that sets his people free from slavery. What slavery, you might ask? The slavery of sin and death. He's the one who will come to set us free from the power of sin, the penalty of sin. He's the one who leads us through the wilderness. You ready to this? Into the promised land. That fellow Moses, he was awesome. He pointed to me. You want to marvel? You want to marvel at being free? Marvel at Jesus because Jesus and him alone can set you free from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin. Marvel at him, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Freedom is only found in Jesus. Do you have that freedom? Then he says this, Jesus forgives our sins. Again, the language that he uses here is amazing language. He calls Jesus his servant, or it could be translated in in verse 12, his son. The name Jesus alone means savior. But it goes on to say in this passage, his servant, the holy one, and the righteous one. They knew what he was saying. The servant that was to suffer, the righteous servant that was suffered was promised by a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And in Isaiah 53, they said, this servant, this righteous one, he would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be wounded because of our iniquities. And on him, we would find peace. And so what he was saying by saying the servant, the righteous servant, he was pointing them all to what Isaiah had promised. His son, his servant, that would be pierced so that we could be forgiven. Listen to Isaiah 53, 11. It says this. Out of the anguish of his soul, Jesus, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, in our text, my servant, in our text, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Here's what he's saying. You want to marvel? You want to marvel at a guy who's been said, marvel that your sins could be forgiven. Marvel at the reality of the one you crucified was the sacrificial lamb. Marvel at the reality that, that, that that event that you saw with your own eyes is the only hope for your salvation. The only way you'll ever be free. You want to marvel. Marvel at that. He goes on to say, he blotted out their sins in verse 19. And wonderful imagery again. And here, here he's pulling in Old Testament imagery of Isaiah 43, 25. Where the prophet Isaiah says this, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. So he, he's, he's taking this people and he's pointing them to this prophet that promised that their sins could be blotted out. What were their sins? They crucified Christ. And now he's telling them by the mercy of God, they can be blotted out. Because what you did brought God's salvation. Forgiveness is only found in Jesus. That's what he's saying. Marvel at that. You want to be free, it's only in his name. 
You want to be forgiven. It's only in his name. But then it's more. It's Jesus brings us life. It calls him the author of life. Or the Greek here could be the prince of life. And I love the juxtaposition. Do you see what he's doing here? The author of life. The prince of life. Who you killed. The one who you killed. The one who died. He has been resurrected. And he now lives. Think of Jesus in the gospel of John. There at the tomb of Lazarus. Think of Jesus who's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And what does he say? He goes, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He who believes in me shall live. When he says this is the author of life, he's saying that Jesus is the only one that we can find life in. Life and life abundantly is in him and him alone. But he says more. Jesus is the one who brings us God's blessing. In verse 25, in verse 25, he references Abraham. And he says, it's through Abraham and the promise to Abraham that through his seed, all the nations shall be blessed. Now just hit pause for a minute because that washes over us is nonsense. But settle into that for a minute. God made a promise to Abraham that he would have a descendant and that descendant would bless every nation on the earth. And guess who that descendant is? It's Jesus. It's this promised seed that we see even back in Genesis 3.15. The seed to come that would defeat Satan. The seed to come that would crush our enemies. The seed to come that was promised to Abraham way back in Genesis 12. I love the fact that Paul in Galatians 3.15 makes it clear. And he says this, by the way, the promise to Abraham was not seeds, plural, It was seed singular. And the promise was Jesus. That's the hope. And he's basically saying this, the hope for the nations. The only way the nations will ever be blessed is through the name and the person of Jesus. You can't find blessing apart from him. Marvel at that. Jesus speaks God's truth. Marvel at that. Do you hear what he said? I love this. He says the prophet Moses promised that there would be one who would come that would be like him. And it says in scripture that you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. This is, this is Deuteronomy 18 language. But the beautiful thing about the one who would come that was be like Moses is he's so much better than Moses because he's a son. If you know the gospel accounts, you'll think of Matthew 17. Matthew 17 is a wonderful story of Jesus and three of his closest disciples going up onto this mountain. And on this mountain, he is transfigured and the glory of God is revealed in him. And it's this amazing mountaintop experience. Peter, James, and John are there. Also appearing is Moses and Elijah. And you got this really interesting story and this, this appearing of these Old Testament prophets. And Peter, the one who's preaching this sermon, doesn't quite get it yet. And he says, it's really good that we're here. Hey, let's build a platform for Moses and let's build a platform for Elijah and let's build a platform for Jesus and let's have all these great prophets together. And the father booms out of heaven. He says, let me tell you something. That's my son and that's my beloved one. You listen to him. All the prophets just pointed to him. All the prophets who are just going to tell you that he's to come. The one you listen to, the one you love, the one you bless. It's Jesus. Listen, he's the truth embodied. It's what John, the gospel of John says that the word of God, God itself became flesh. That the word, the truth of God put on flesh and he tabernacled with us. 
And we beheld the glory of God, the wonder of God. It's basically saying Jesus is truth incarnate. He's embodying truth. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. He says, in former times and in different ways, God spoke through his prophets. But in these last days, God spoke through his son, Jesus. You want to marvel? You want to marvel? You want to marvel at truth? Marvel at the fact that Jesus is God's word in flesh. Marvel at that. You want to marvel? Marvel that Jesus is the king who was to come that would conquer all of our enemies. He mentions Samuel in verse 24. And it's Samuel who we'll see and uh, who anointed David in 2 Samuel 7 and who makes this amazing covenant promise. God makes this covenant promise to David to say, you shall have a king on the throne perpetually. And this king will conquer all of yours and our enemies. This king will, will, will defeat death. This king will open up heaven. This king is named Jesus who has conquered death. He's saying, you want to marvel? Marvel at this, what this King Jesus has done. What has he done? Well, he did die. He was resurrected. He conquered sin and death to bring salvation. Marvel at this King, and there's language here too, is what this King is now doing. What is this King right now doing? Well, he's doing what Scripture tells us. He's reigning in heaven. He's reigning right now in heaven. He's living to intercede for us and to bring us what this passage says, times of refreshment. In just a few moments, we're going to be singing before the throne of God. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He's ruling and reigning for you. He's calling your name to heaven. He's reminding you of the, of the life he has in you. He's bringing you refreshment even this moment if you're his. What will Jesus do as the king to come? It says this, he will restore all things. Everything that's been broken, every sin that's been committed, all, all, all of what is wrong will be undone. That he'll provide us a new heaven and a new earth when he comes. And the restoration of all things will take place. But the very interesting Greek is this. It's begun now. You want to marvel? Marvel at the king that would conquer your greatest enemy, death. You want to marvel? Marvel at a king that opened up heaven. You want to marvel? Marvel at a king that right now lives to intercede for you. You want to marvel? Marvel at a king who's going to bring a kingdom that makes all things new. Don't marvel at this little miracle. Marvel at Jesus. You know why I don't think that we really marvel at him? Because I don't think we see ourselves right in the story. Now, what I mentioned last week is you'll get this story when you see yourself as the cripple outside of the presence of God with no hope except for his grace. And when you realize, listen, when you realize you're the one that he came and touched, when you realize that you're the one that he died to make alive, when you realize the sacrifice for you, then you marvel. And you say, how can I keep from singing? Oh, but by the grace of God. And now when we realize ourselves rightly, we live joyfully in submission to Christ as king. We live joyfully on mission for Christ as king. And the response he tells us, repent and be believing. Repent and be believing in the name of Jesus. In the book of Acts, when they're calling these people to repent and calling us, first and foremost, what they're calling them to repent from is their false view of Jesus. Remember, just a few days ago, a few weeks ago, these people were crying, crucify him. He's a fraud. Give us Barabbas. Kill Jesus. Repent. This is God's anointed 
This is God's Christ and Lord. Repent. Here's a point for you. If you see Jesus as anything other than God's Christ and Lord, repent. He's not just your counselor. He's not your co-pilot. He's not just your friend beside you. Yes, he's those things and so much more. Repent of any false view of Jesus. He's Lord. He's King. He's God's Son in flesh. And believe. Believe in his name. And when it says believe in his name, it's not just easy believing. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. This is saying you are putting the weight of your trust, the weight of your hope, the weight of your identity in the name of Jesus and Jesus alone. Believing that his work and his death was sufficient for you. Repent and believe. That will cause you to live your life for his glory. Turn back. Literally change directions. And make sure you're following hard after Christ. And if you do, you'll be refreshed. And you will be restored. You will be free. You will be alive. You will be fruitful. Let me ask you this in closing. Is your gaze fixed on Jesus? Are you marveling at the person and the work of Jesus? Are you repenting of your sins and your false view of who this Jesus is and believing in his name? If you want to marvel, marvel at him. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that your holy word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gave us a glimpse into this amazing story. And that Peter, having every eye on him and every mouth open, gaping at the fact of what you did through him, did that which you've called each one of us to do. Merely point to Jesus and say, don't gaze at me and don't marvel at me. Marvel at God's own son the servant who would be pierced for our transgressions, the truth in flesh, the greater prophet to come than Moses, the king that conquers all of God's and our enemies, marvel at us. Father, I feel like we we should respond in a way of just repenting, saying, God, we, we don't see you this way. We should. We don't treat you, Jesus, like the king that you deserve. Come and be with us. I pray that your spirit would draw us again and you'd have mercy on us and that we would be able to again stand before the throne of God and know what Jesus has done for us. That you'd empower us to reflect the beauty of you. We pray in Christ's name, amen.